When Sophia's best friend passes away, she's left feeling sad and lonely. The death has Dorothy contemplating the presumably short time she has left with her own mother. Desperate to connect and share quality time, Dorothy takes Sophia on a vacation. But instead of amusement park rides and hats with ears, Dorothy wants to take Sophia down memory lane. Forcing Sophia to reminisce is actually forcing her away, and Dorothy needs to do some damage control. Meanwhile, Blanche and Rose have been left to their own devices and are constructing a children's book of their own. Or at least they thought they were. Will Blanche and Rose ever get their book or greeting card line off the ground? Will Dorothy realize she can't be that selfish with her nostalgic needs? Will Sophia ever get off the ground and into space? Mountain? All of that and more in today's episode, Two Road Together. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. Oh, you're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go. We've got another real-life inspiration for the title today. It's based off of the 1961 film Two Road Together, starring Jimmy Stewart as a Texas Marshal and Richard Widmark as an Army officer. Unfortunately, they end up attacking indigenous Americans, and it's a real classic American Western film. I'm giving you an order. Oh, I've taken just about all the orders I can see. You don't bluff me. I haven't drawn on very many men, but when I did, I wasn't bluffing. Don't you ever buy your own cigar? Sure. I want two last paydays. It was three months ago. Oh, you. Oh, you. It's a sunny day, and Blanche is in the living room, wearing a not-often-sported floral skirt and her casual weekend mauve sweatshirt. Rose has joined her, taking a seat on the couch in her blue pants and blue and green polka-dotted top with a green cardigan. It's a good thing they're wearing so much color because coming in the front door are the all-black-wearing Dorothy and Sophia. And no, Rose, they aren't Johnny Cash's backup singers. Johnny Cash was also known as the Man in Black. He famously released a song titled Man in Black, which people attributed to his choice in clothing. However, according to FarOutMagazine.com, in 1971, he told a group of college students that it was to bring attention to Vietnam, poverty, and racial issues. He said on a talk show, quote, This sounds like just a record plug, and it's not. People were always asking me why I wore black. I've worn black basically ever since I've been in the music business, but I never did really answer the reporters when they asked that question. His lyrics should have answered the question for anyone wondering, Quote, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose, in our streak o' lightning cars and fancy clothes, but just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back, up front there ought to be a man in black. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. That's cool. Isn't that cool? He was one of the coolest. Yeah. He might have uh, even been a socialist a democratic socialist 
pretty charismatic drug addict as well. <laughs> yes. And uh, alcoholic. We've all seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. <laughs> Johnny Cash the was best. doing that. He was ripping ripping bathroom sinks out of walls. The best rock and roll biopic, biopic. of all time. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want any of this, man. The wrong kid died. <laughs> He did have a, just a natural coolness. And I think he's one of those guys that if I had to guess, a lot of people are drawn to him or celebrate him that maybe haven't listened to the lyrics. And he would probably not be a fan of theirs, if you know what I mean. When people get mad at Rage Against the Machine for being political, and it's like, um, have you heard a single word they've said or like the name of their band? Yeah, do you know which side you'll be on when they're <laughs> rolling ro down Rodeo with a shotgun? Yeah. Oh, someone's going to be listening to some rage today. <laughs> I already am. My own. It's, in, it's just boiling in my blood. The rage is calling from inside the house. <laughs> in fact, the ladies have returned from a funeral for Sophia's bestie, Edith. Mildred had been Sophia's BFF, but some distance came between them when Mildred died. Even though Edith was 88, she was in perfect health until bingo, she was just dead. And no, Blanche, she didn't die in her sleep. You got marzipan in your ears? She died playing bingo. Which for me would be right up there with dying having sex. That'd be really fun. Be like, I finally won. I got a bingo. Bingo! And then your body is like, bingo, bango, bongo. Good night. And then the, the crew at the bingo hall is going to have to clean up your last bingo in your death <laughs> pants. <laughs> Well, Dead poop. <laughs> Death poop. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what would be another good way? I, I'm trying to think of a way that would be the funniest. You know what would be a funny way to die? Like if you died instantly was like going down a fire pole. <laughs> You're alive at the, the top. The excitement of going down is like, woo, the just heart for the, stops. Just for the people at the bottom, the scare. Yeah, because you would it. just crumble. They'd be like, oh, no. And then it's like, whoa, she's dead. I think something's wrong. Yeah, anything short term like a slide. Oh yeah. Or a roller coaster. Oh my god, someone comes out of a kid's slide dead. <laughs> That'd be almost as funny as the Boston cop coming down oh the slide. Oh my god. Which sounded like this. Heading down a popular slide. Ouch. It's like he's shot out of a cannon. He hits the ground hard. The slide is meant for kids only. Posted warning signs say not intended for adult use and 5 to 12 year olds only. Phyllis Gluckman, who Sophia is not a fan of, has moved up the ranks and is now her best friend. And since all of her friends are dropping dead, Sophia won't have to tolerate her for very long. As Sophia goes to her room, Blanche reflects on what she said and is realizing how upset Sophia seems since, you know, all of her friends are croaking. Dorothy is also feeling upset, so she walks into the kitchen, forcing the girls to follow her so they can get to what she meant by her ominous comment. 
While Dorothy pours herself a cup of joe, she explains that Edith was just a few years older than Sophia. Blanche finishes her thought, so she's worried she's running out of time with her mother. Well, it looks like Blanche is as buoyant as Dorothy, and now Rose wants Blanche to read her mind. It's like I have ESPN or something. Which is funny, because, like, they had back-to-back clairvoyant jokes. It seemed a little lazy. It's like I have ESPN or something. Even in the exact same spot, Rose was in that seat going, you can read minds, you know, and then it's, oh, my turn. Maybe it was uh, an out-of-order episode or something. Yeah, maybe or just... Because that just seems... And I didn't look at the names of the writers, so it could have been different writers, and they happened to maybe be joking about that or talking about it, and then they both put that joke in. I don't know. Clairvoyance was so hot back then. Yeah, it was. (laughs) It's like I have ESPN or something. Blanche and Dorothy ignore the request and get back to the topic at hand. While at the service, Dorothy spoke with Edith's daughter, who expressed not only sadness but guilt. She hadn't seen her mother in nearly a year because they lived far away from each other. The distance doesn't matter, though. Quality over quantity is what Dorothy's concerned with. She is with Sophia all the time, but they aren't always connecting. Sometimes Dorothy will realize their distance just while they're watching Jeopardy, and she'll find herself staring at Sophia, just taking her all in, which is sweet until Sophia gets uncomfortable and it keeps her from being able to pick her nose. I relate to that idea. I have a really hard time remembering basically anything, and I have a very difficult time with names and a really, really nearly impossible time with faces. Sometimes I'll even try to picture my parents just like away from them or maybe hear their voice in my mind, and I flat out cannot, which has really kind of always scared me when it comes to the idea of them passing away, like it'll be hard to remember those things. As Blanche cuts through the nearly frozen cheesecake, she shares her life motto, share your love with people today because they may be gone tomorrow. That could be a lesson learned by someone like Sophia, who has lost many close friends, but it was inspired by Blanche's habit of dating salesmen that traveled. They'd be there one day and gone the next. To help, and I use that term loosely, Rose offers not a St. Olaf story, but a fable. She even asks if she can tell the story. Dorothy doesn't give her explicit permission, but does give her crap for waiting until she was at a low point to try to get a story in. Taking that as permission, Rose goes on. In the land of Farkenleuven lived Tunder, the mediocre tiger. Why, he was so pathetic, the only difference between him and Stanley was a toupee. Tundor's wife was embarrassed by her husband's status of mediocrity, not much different than Dan Potato Quail's wife, Marilyn. He developed a speech impediment. He made mistakes. I have as much experience in the Congress as Jack Kennedy did when he sought the presidency. Senator, I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. This guy's a heartbeat away from the presidency, and it turns out that he's dumb. Was Stanley a traveling salesman, or was he a fake vomit manufacturer? I don't know that he was ever a traveling salesman, you know, of the Blanche variety, but I believe he was... I think he invented it and then had it manufactured and then he was selling it. So like trying to get it into stores or if Shark Tank had existed, then he would have tried to be on there. That kind of thing. Is he supposed to be the inventor of fake vomit? Is that like his story? 
Um, I don't think if I don't know if they've ever gone into explicit detail that he like created it, but just that he was drawn to prank items like dog poop and puke and all of those lovely things. Pulled a bunch of huge pranks on Dorothy. <laughs> yeah, like getting her pregnant. Oh, and cheating on her too, yeah. <laughs> Bam, <man. laughs> Stan Goof. Bad spouse. <laughs> Tundor's wife asked her fairy godmother to grant Tundor the ability to do amazing things. The wish was granted, and he became Tundor the Magnificent, keeping his initials the same, which helps when you have monogrammed towels. Once Tundor was magnificent, he became popular and busy, which his wife hated. She asked him to spend more time with her, so he used his magnificent powers, that are apparently magical now, to undo his magification. But no, Blanche, they did not live happily ever after. His wife remembered why she was so bored with him being mediocre and then left him for his entertainment business manager, Wise Blet the Weasel. Now, they did live happily ever after. When Blanche asks about Tundor's well-being, Ellen starts barking. Who cares? Let me tell you, Scary. Look here. Look at me. You want to look like you've been road hard and put away wet when you're my age? I'm a lifer here. Best thing I got to look forward to is end up in some decent raisin ranch where they change me twice a day. Sorry, what was the name of the agent? Weisblatt the Weasel. That seems, well, you can't say that. It's like a Jewish agent stereotype mm. and that they call him a weasel. That's Oh, a little secret oh boy That's in an there. oh boy and a, and, a, and a no thank you. You know, in that writing in the 80s, I think you're onto something. Thank you. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, my apologies. That's actually Dorothy, who doesn't give a damn about Tundor. She heard happily ever after, and that's the end of it. However, the story does inspire her to make plans to take Sophia away for the weekend, to really get that quality one-on-one -on -one time, maybe at a cabin down in the Keys. Blanche doesn't care how good that idea sounds. She can't believe Dorothy got it from the Tundor story. Well, she didn't. She was so bored with the story, she started reading the travel brochure that was on the table, which they never go back to to say someone was planning a trip. I would love to hear who was looking at going to the Keys. It might have just been a, a mailer. Oh, that's true. Travel agencies were gigantic that's entities true. back then, I feel. Okay, that's a very fair point. I appreciate it. Now you shut up and don't correct me ever again. <laughs> When Sophia returns, Dorothy is elated to give her the news that they're going away on a trip. Sophia is not so much excited as she is suspicious, and she has good reason to be questioning Dorothy. The last time she got all excited about a trip, she was tricking Sophia into going to Shady Pines. Get me out of here! Where for a year and a half, she was forced into making lanyards and moccasins, or indigenous persons' shoes. To prove she's not taking her mother to the psycho-inspired Bates Motel-looking Shady Pines, Dorothy lets Sophia choose the getaway of her choice. Since she's been asking for years to go, she throws out her top option, Disney World. Even though she's wanted to go for so long and had never been taken, Dorothy is suddenly all aboard the Disney train. Sophia is certain this means she's going back to the home, so she asks the girls what size and color they want their shoes. Still not believing her daughter, but looking stunning in a pink suit with a lavender bowed blouse under it, Sophia is on the phone with the airline. 
Once she's confirmed the flight, she asks about the secret plans to remove Sophia at the gate. But the airline personnel have no idea what she's talking about. So maybe Dorothy is actually taking her to Disney World. Coming out with her luggage, wearing flowing linen pants, a black top, and a long turquoise cover is Dorothy, checking on her mother's level of excitement. Dorothy's glad to see that Sophia's paranoia has died down. Pretending she didn't just call the airline, Sophia is like, oh, well, yeah, of course I trust you, your family. But we've seen how vicious the Petrillo family can get. Go to hell, all of you! The cab honks their horn, and Rose, in a pink and purple floral dress, comes running out to bid them farewell and to remind them to grab a pair of Mickey ears for her. She needs it for the girls in her troop, of course. They just love those things. Dorothy answers with the tone of an eye roll. Sure, Rose. And Sophia double-checks that Rose wants Rose embroidered on the back, which she, of course, does. Excited to get on the road for what will be their one-hour and ten-minute flight, Sophia can't wait to get on one of my favorite roller coasters, Space Mountain. We've been invited to Disney World to see Space Mountain. But Dorothy isn't keen on the idea of a scary ride like that. Not sure if that's out of her own fear or concern for her mother's health. She won't have a choice when it comes to scary rides, according to Sophia and this racist, oh boy, because their cab driver is wearing a turban. You can't say that. Blanche couldn't be bothered to tell the girls goodbye. She's too busy coloring at the kitchen table. She has created a picture of a multicolored striped tiger in a top hat and tuxedo with a magic wand in paw. That's when Rose realizes it's a picture of Toondor. Giggling, Blanche explains that Toondor has stayed in her mind since she heard the story and she just couldn't get it out. Much like Rose, who really knows that feeling, like when she gets waterlogged in her head. That's why she's learned to wear earplugs when she washes her hair. Back to the fairy tale. Blanche, in a gray and white sweater, has been thinking about it, and she's pretty sure that they should make a children's book. Rose could write the story, and Blanche could do the artwork. Rose loves the idea. Why, when her kids were little, she bought books like that all the time. Her kids didn't really care for them. They had their own reading to do. Ooh la la, we are at a fancy hotel in Orlando. In the hotel room that looks to be inspired by the Miami Vice apartment from season one, Dorothy hollers out for her mother, wondering why she's taking 20 minutes in the bathroom. Okay, if at like 30 minutes you haven't heard anything and you're worried, you could shout out a little, you all right in there? But Sophia's an older lady. She needs time to work things out, like painting a mural on a ceiling, also known as a fresco. Chuckling at the comment, Dorothy begins jotting something down at the paper in her hand. Sophia inquires about it, and Dorothy explains that she's keeping a journal of all of those precious moments they have together. Giving her daughter crap, Sophia compares Dorothy's note-keeping to the career of journalist, commentator, and former White House press secretary under Lyndon Johnson, Bill Moyers, who hosted a program on PBS titled Bill Moyers' Journal. Can my bliss be my life, love, or my life's work? Is it my work or my life? Well, if the work that you're doing is the work that you chose to do because you were enjoying it, that's it. But if you think, oh, gee, I couldn't do that, you know, that's your dragon that's locking you in. Oh, no, I couldn't be a writer. Oh, no, I couldn't do what so-and-so is doing. Unlike the classical heroes, 
we're not going on our journey to save the world, but to save ourselves. The world is a wasteland. People have the notion of saving the world by shifting it around and changing the rules and so forth. And no, any world is a living world if it's alive. And the thing is to bring it to life. And the way to bring it to life is to find in your own case where your life is and be alive yourself, it seems to me. That's the power of the teacher, isn't it? To, to bring vitality to others, to make others see the vitality in them, children. Well, it happens. So I actually have a very dear friend who does this. She always has a notebook in her Mary Poppins bag. And if she hears something poignant, meaningful, funny, deep, she whips out that book and jots it down. Now, it can sometimes derail a thought or the flow of conversation, but it does sometimes feel like an honor when you get put in the book. And it's nice to know your words mean so much to someone that they want to hold on to them. The Bill Moyers quip earns another write down. Going to the door, Sophia is ready for Space Mountain, but Dorothy has something else in mind. She brought a surprise. Sal's cigar boxes had been full of photos and Dorothy took it upon herself to arrange them into albums. Dorothy tells Sophia that she did it for herself, for them. Sophia says that it's for later, but the part can wait. Sophia finally agrees to take a very brisk walk down memory lane. She'd rather be making new memories than looking at old ones. Hey, look, uh, I know you're impatient, but honest, we're, we're on our way to Space Mountain, I promise. Starting with a photo of Sophia holding her as a baby, Dorothy asks what Sophia was thinking right then in that moment some 50-odd years ago. Well, it was 1932. It was summer. Sophia couldn't believe how lucky she was to have such a precious baby. Moving to the next photo, Dorothy is skating. Ah, yes, winter 1934. Sophia couldn't believe how lucky she was to have such a precious two-year-old. Six years later, they are on a tandem bicycle. Oh, geez. Sophia could never forget that spring day of 1940, and she was thinking about how lucky she was to... Finally catching on to the malarkey her mother was feeding her, Dorothy snaps that Sophia is just making that all up. Well, yeah, she is. She was living in the moment at the time. She can't remember what she was thinking right then, all those years ago. She can't even remember that Ed Sullivan has been off the air since 1971 for crying out loud. Now can they go to the dang park? Dorothy stops Sophia from leaving. Using Sophia's own weapon of guilt, Dorothy asks why they can't stay and do what she wants. Reluctantly, Sophia gives in. If going through these pictures will make Dorothy happy, then she can do it. Having given her an inch, Dorothy is taking a mile. Great, no park. We'll have dinner in the room, and then after we go through the photos, we will read all these old letters from this shoebox. Sarcastically, Sophia jokes it was too bad she didn't bring the slides, which was a running joke for decades. You'd go to a friend's house for dinner, and maybe they'd just came back from a big trip, so they would put the slides on and painstakingly walk you through the trip that you didn't really care about seeing because you weren't on it. The joke backfires, though, because, of course, Dorothy brought the slides. Back at the house, Blanche is still working away on Tundra sketches, and she has a new one to show Rose. The two of them are really making headway on their book, and Blanche owes it all to synergism. Rose does, too, although it's clear she has no idea what that word means. Blanche explains that it's all about the energy between two people, focused on and working on the same task, which then feeds unto itself. And until today, she thought you could only experience synergism at a motel. 
Blanche's own joke cracks her up and Rose follows suit, but it's clear she still doesn't know what that word means. Moving on to other positive talk, Rose is delighted by how fun it's been to work with Blanche. Blanche attributes it to their deep friendship. In fact, Rose has felt so close that she feels like she could tell Blanche anything, even if it means being critical of her work, which Blanche welcomes. It will make the work better. We can have constructive criticism. So, of course, when Rose casually mentions that one of the pictures could use a little work, Blanche rips the paper from her hands and tells her to drop dead, just as any good friend would do. After the tantrum, Rose asks, um, I thought this wasn't about our egos getting in the way. But there's no ego here. It's just that Blanche and everything she does is flawless, perfect in every way. Rose fights back. She's the one that brought Tunder to Blanche's attention. She's the one who has known these characters, pictured them in her water-filled head for decades. She knows what they should look like. When Blanche has enough courage to ask what needs to be corrected on the picture, Rose starts with the loneliest sea otter, Melvin, and his propeller-adorned beanie. Blanche didn't forget about the hat. It's just the, the wind blew it away. So Rose will just have to write the story like that. When she refuses, Blanche pulls out a big gun, or eraser. She's going to erase Mookie the sailor, which seems like it would only cause more work for herself, but she is dealing with Rose here. Begging her to not harm the critters, Rose agrees to do whatever Blanche wants. With a move that could only be described as, if hips could stomp, Blanche gets up and leaves. We're back at the hotel room where Sophia is suffering through Dorothy's slide presentation. She laughs as she looks at a photo of a man from the neck down and how bad of a photographer Sal was, just like my Grammy. She was about my height, so being short didn't account for it, but that woman could not take a photo that included the top of everyone's head to save her. This photo is easy for Sophia to ID. It's Uncle Vittoro, who lost his head to Benny the Blade when he became a snitch, so that photo is actually pretty accurate as to how he looked in death. While Sophia has a lousy attitude and crossed arms, Dorothy is expressing her gratitude and appreciation. Pulling a reverse, we're going to Disneyland distraction, Sophia says there might be more slides in the closet, so Dorothy goes to check. Taking the opportunity, Sophia snatches her purse and makes a run for the door. Dorothy, hearing the door, comes back to see what's happening. Sophia crumbles. She can't stand this any longer. You aren't supposed to watch your life flash before your eyes while you're on vacation. You're supposed to see it when you're dying. Even though they live only an hour's flight from the world-famous resort, Sophia has apparently never been. She has waited, well, not her whole life, only as long as Ed Sullivan's been off the air, for her chance to ride the rides, and nothing will stop her now. Cue lightning. Now, weather will affect some Disneyland and Disney World attractions. Fireworks are very finicky. Some rides will close down. Hurricanes are a more common concern for Orlando, and it did even cause the shutdown of Disneyland earlier this year when California got a hurricane. Heavy storms have shut the resorts down, but overall they are well-equipped, well-run machines. On November 22, 1963, Walt Disney was flying over Orlando and spotted the exact plot of land he wanted to use for the Magic Kingdom Park. At the same time, President Kennedy was being assassinated in Texas. Disneyland was closed on the 23rd for this reason. September 11th was another day Disneyland was closed as the attacks happened so early that the West Coast team decided to stay closed. 
Disney World guests were escorted out. In early August 1970, 300 protesters came into Disneyland. They caused a ruckus, and guests were escorted out for safety, closing a few hours early. Then, of course, there was COVID, but that is a little bit different. So those are the non-weather-related times they've closed. Pretty major historical events for the most part. Then there was last year. Okay, so here's like a little bit of family gossip. Our family was set to go for Halloween, and a former family member was hell-bent on taking some other family members to Disneyland. There was and remains a lot of animosity there because of certain things. So instead of those family members having a big family trip and going another time with that person, she purchased tickets for the weekend before that big family trip so that she could take those other family members first to the park. Anyway, none of us cared because we aren't psycho and we were just laughing at how bizarre it would look to people on the outside of the situation. You know, wait, why is part of the family going the week before and then everyone's going the following week? What is happening? I wish I had the power of prayer or something to take responsibility for what happened. But a huge storm came through with such powerful hail that it forced the park to close early on one of the two days she was there. Because sometimes karma comes from the sky. It's the next day. Dorothy is in her linen pants, a white turtleneck, and a green and blue blouse jackety thing over it. Sophia is in khakis, a yellow blouse, and a periwinkle cardigan decorated with yellow flowers. They're sitting at the coffee table playing cards because the rain did not let up overnight. I'm not sure if the park was closed or if they didn't want to be out in the rain. You know how quick they are to get sick out in the weather. But there they are. Once again, Dorothy is back to her staring habit. Snapping, Sophia tells her to take her turn. They're playing a game and it's not solitaire. Dorothy was lost in the moment, though, trying to remember when the last time was she told Sophia that she loved her. Sophia remembers. It was just after lunch when she told her she had grilled cheese on her chin. And that was met with, I love you. Getting to the heart of the matter, Dorothy starts talking about how she's trying to not be so uncomfortable with deep feelings. She doesn't know why she runs away or tunes out, so she asks Sophia where she gets that from. Sophia indirectly gives her the answer she's seeking. No, she doesn't say, oh, you got that from me, as she should have. But what she does say is that the corn pad on her foot slipped, and now she wasn't really paying attention. So that's pretty much where she gets it from because Sophia also doesn't deal well with emotions. Wondering if the rain will ever let up or if she'll ever be able to go on a ride, Sophia ponders those ideas aloud. Dorothy doesn't want the weather to clear. She wants to stay right there without distractions. They can just keep doing what they've been doing. And what they've been doing is bugging the crap out of Sophia. She needs to leave. She can't take any more letters, slides, photos, memories. She's got to go. When Dorothy offers to go with her, Sophia blows her off. They don't need each other for safety or to guard from accidentally sinning. They're not nuns. They don't need to be in pairs. That was her nice way of saying, I need a break from you, too. Walking into the swanky new location of the hotel bar, Sophia approaches the man at the piano and asks Sam, in reference to the film Casablanca, what he's playing. She then goes full Ingrid Bergman, pretending Sam knows what she wants to hear. In the film, Sam is not supposed to play as time goes by, but he does when begged to. A sigh is just a sigh. 
sentimental things apply as time goes by. Sophia pushes just like in Casablanca, and Sam starts to play. It takes a few bars to realize what it is he's singing, but by the time he gets to It's a World of Fears, the audience hears the tune and now know that it is the most annoying song from the park. thinking that man at the piano is too good looking and too talented to just be playing in a bar. Well, that's because the man playing Sam is Freddie Jackson. No, he isn't a Jackson brother, but he is a talented singer in his own right. After funking out with a band in California, he moved into his R&B solo career with hits like Rock Me Tonight for Old Time's Sake, Have You Ever Loved Somebody, and You Are My Lady. His songs have millions of views on YouTube, and he can still be heard via his weekly podcast, Conversations with Freddie Jackson. You are my lady. You're everything I need the Casablanca theme continues as Dorothy approaches Sophia. She turns back to Sam and says, Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Dorothy is not there to ruin her mother's night. She just wants to talk. So they walk over to the bright pink tablecloth-covered table and hideous clear chairs with red and white flower arrangements on the tables and sort of matching pink carpet, but not, and a big brown bar. Coco, I know you were loving this scene as much as I was. It was a real eye-pleaser. I described it as a Pepto-Bismol commercial. <laughs> yeah, where, you said the bar was the stomach. <laughs> yes, and everything else was that cooling, soothing liquid. Peppermint flavored, ew. Ooh, yeah, very just... It was bad. Very late 80s. We don't know what's coming with the 90s. Yeah, it seemed like they were panicking. <laughs> Hurry, put some cool looking We're gonna, stuff. We have to press, we have to start filming in four seconds. Or that's what people in California think Florida looks like. The ladies take a seat and begin airing their grievances. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. Sophia doesn't understand why they had to ruin their vacation looking at all that old stuff. Dorothy doesn't understand why her mother doesn't see the time spent reminiscing as quality time together. She wanted everything said and known, everything that needed to be said and needed to be known before either of them were gone. Sophia understands her desire, but they aren't living on Golden Pond, wherein Jane Fonda brings her son to visit her parents, Catherine Hepburn and Henry Fonda, at their summer home, which we discussed at the start of season one's sixth episode. For Sophia, special quality time just happens. It can't be forced. When they have moments doing simple things like preparing dinner together, those are the quality moments that she really loves. But Dorothy wanted something magical, something that said, this is quality time. Sophia has a story for that. She doesn't ask Dorothy to picture it, but she tells her about her childhood in Sicily, and how she was obsessed with watching the lightning bugs glow in the sky. It was like a thousand points of light. 
Being just a couple of weeks after President George H.W. Bush's inauguration speech, she had it fresh in her mind and accidentally started repeating it. I've spoken of a thousand points of duty of all the community organizations that are spread like duty throughout the nation doing good, rewarding duty in the cabinet agencies. The old ideas are new again because they're not old. They are duty, commitment, duty, and a patriotism that finds its expression in taking part and pitching in. And we need a new engagement, too, between the executive and the duty. Back to the glow bugs. Sophia loved them so much, she decided to catch one in a jar to keep so that she could see the magic whenever she wanted. Dorothy gets the metaphor. The bugs needed freedom to shine and to be appreciated as they were. Well, yeah, that and they needed air, which Sophia always forgot to provide. You can't capture magic, even on film. Like a lightning bug, Dorothy nearly suffocated Sophia by trying to keep the magic close. Sophia doesn't appreciate her repeating everything. It's like beating a dead horse or keeping lightning bugs in a jar. With less pressure, Dorothy tells her ma she loves her and promises she will never make her do a trip like this for the rest of her life. With one caveat, Sophia has to promise that she will never die. She agrees to the conditions. She's fine making that promise because it's not like she'll have to face any of the consequences, you know, after she's dead. I promise I will never die. Back home, the girls are in the kitchen. Blanche, in a blue shirt and bright yellow button-down, is apologetic to the morose Rose, dressed in an all-purple sweater and pants. Carrying in a book, Rose isn't worried about Blanche's apology for calling her dumb, nor is she concerned with the book. Also, there wasn't really going to be an apology for calling her dumb, because, you know, she kind of is. For once, Blanche is the confused one, and Rose gets to be snarky and asks, what, am I speaking Swedish? Looking at the cover of the book, Blanche reads, Tales of Tunder the Tiger and His Friends by Hans Christian Lockenhoven. He's no Hans Christian Andersen, the Danish writer best known for tales such as The Little Mermaid, The Ugly Duckling, The Emperor's New Clothes, The Princess and the Pea, and Thumbelina. But he is St. Olaf's biggest writer. Why, he created Hansel and Hansel. Cool story, Hansel. Thanks, Olaf. Rose had told Blanche her parents had made up the stories, But when Rose called her sister excited about the book, her sister said, well, why don't you just read the book mom and dad had with the story in it? Discouraged, Blanche doesn't see a point in writing something that's already been written. Now, I couldn't find anything specific about the writers on Golden Girls having beef with the writers over at Mr. Belvedere. Maybe saying Mr. Belvedere often used stories that had already been written was just a slam at how crappy the show was in general. Either way... I think we can all agree Mr. Belvedere deserves it. Belvedere slam! Mr. Belvedere went to sit down like on one of the kitchen chairs or whatever mm-hmm. and sat on his... <laughs> and he did it so bad they had, he had to go home. I have never been so humiliated in my entire life. Blanche is devastated, just devastated that her 24-hour dream of being a children's author... I'm sorry, her 24-hour dream of using a children's book to catapult her into fame and success had been crushed. To help her friend, Rose offers a poem, a poem that she wrote. Never ever give up on your dreams, even when they're doused in sorrow, because even though they may seem far away, they could come true tomorrow. 
Blanche legitimately enjoys the poem, comparing it to the not-as-good-stuff-you-find-in-a-Hallmark store. This prompts a shift in their plan. Maybe, instead of a book, Blanche could still draw and Rose could provide her with the hundreds of poems she's written, and voila, they would have a new business. But that wasn't what Blanche was thinking. She was thinking about a beach with extreme waves that ripped the suits off the men coming out of the sea, so they're going to take a field trip to that beach to raise their spirits. Back at the hotel, Sophia is scampering around the room, packing up. She's not just packing up her belongings, though. She's pulling a move I learned from my mom. She's helping herself to the towels. She considers taking the Bible for a moment, but that seems to go a little too far. She tries to help herself to the clam-shaped phone, but it has been bolted down. Now, my move is to call for extra pillows if I like them. Then, when you shove one in your bag, you'll leave behind the regular four they expect to find. It's not really stealing. It's part of the price you pay. Coco, are you a hotel room thief? Not towels or anything. If there's a really nice glass or something. Oh, uh, glassware. And, yeah, soaps, of course. And I usually take the lotion. Yeah. But I don't, not the conditioner or anything like that. Or Nor the shampoo. I have those at home. Yeah. And I have a lot of it. I used to only worry about taking those if it was a really nice quality. You know, if they're like, oh, this is a swanky hotel and we actually have nice hair things which is rare but I really appreciate that nowadays they don't waste all that plastic with those individual bottles and they have it for the most part built into the shower yeah with like a little a little pump or something yeah there's a little bit of like oh weird we're all like sharing the shower but it's so much less waste and there tends to be higher quality product and for someone with I'm sorry to say as much hair as I have I need like seven pumps I can't, those little tubes aren't going to cut it. There's no way. There's no way. So much hair. So much. So thick. Thank you. Everywhere. I know, it gets everywhere. <laughs> no, I mean everywhere on your body. <gasps> ah! Ah! It's true. No. Dorothy is back after buying some postcards to remember where they didn't go. Sophia in a jungle-themed dress and bright blue cardigan doesn't need postcards to remember in a white dress and a not-quite-animal-print top, Dorothy has one more thing she would like to do with her mom before they leave. Sophia can't bear to hear it. She just wants to go home and be away from these memories. Dorothy has a better idea than another stroll down memory lane, though. Thanks to Golden Girls being only the second series produced by Touchstone Television via Walt Disney Studios, we cut to the outside, then the inside, of Space Mountain. Rips to the people mover that was shown outside. We're off to Space Mountain. I'll race you to Space Mountain in a Disney World. Walt Disney World. Coco, this was a first viewing for you, yes? As far as I know, yeah. It might as well be, and I believe it is. And? It was average, I think. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the relationship stuff between Dorothy and Sophia. I thought that was very sweet. And I like, I think it's cute that Sophia is kind of resistant to that sort of thing. Yeah. Sentimentality. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes sense to me because she didn't she grow up like during the Depression? and. Oh, yeah. She was an adult. I think she had yeah. Dorothy by then. I don't know. I like that. I feel that way, too. I always want to like make special things happen. And it's hard. You can't force it. You know, you just can't force a, a moment between yeah. people. Or forcing, like you said, the sentimentality, if that's not something she's interested in. Like, my parents are not sentimental. So 
I really want to go through our family photos just to get them in albums and to go through them with my parents so I know what I'm looking at so we can mark it and say, oh, okay, well, if I look through these again in 20 years or whatever, I can at least tell their grandkids, oh, this was this party or that's your uncle so-and-so. Now, I did see a quick little blip and I didn't dig into it, but I did read something that said that B. Arthur was actually kind of more anxious than usual for this episode, kind of checking in with the director about how she was doing because her relationship with Sophia was so similar to her own relationship with her own mother. And so this episode just had like a different meaning for her or a different depth. And and it's funny because it does kind of seem to come out of nowhere But I do always like seeing, I guess because I relate to it so much, how quickly and easily she does turn into the kid. Why didn't she go? Why didn't Sophia just go on her own? She has all these friends. That's true. I'm shocked they didn't have a bus that shuttled her up there. Oh, I guess maybe the the friends that that she made at Shady Pines or wherever were maybe a little too... Maybe they were too medically fragile to go on... It's possible. She does... Excitement rides. She is usually the rabble rouser. Do you have a favorite... Disneyland ride? Hmm, that's tough. I mean, we were just there. Let me think. I I love the for new stuff. I would say the Cars ride. Oh yeah, that was just the best. Yeah. And old stuff, I still love Haunted Mansion and Pirates. Mm. And yeah, Space Mountain is one of my favorites of all Same. time. Thunder Mountain. And that's that's the best part about it is that you go there, but you go there with other people, and it, you just na- you just ma- naturally make a million memories when you're there. Mm-hmm. It's impossible not to. Yeah, that's funny comparing, you know, for Dorothy, it was, I want to make the memory of going through our memories with you. And Sophia was like, if we go to Disneyland, though, we will have quality time together, just us, and we will be making all these new memories. Right. So there is a fine balance of living in and appreciating and acknowledging the past while also growing and making new memories together. If you don't move forward... You'll never get to Space Mountain. (laughs) That's right. Last week, it was my nephew's seventh birthday. He was all excited about his party and how all of his classmates would be coming. So we had a little conversation about quality over quantity. He realized that he had three really close friends that he was most excited to see and that they were the most important part of his birthday. It's a lesson we can all be reminded of. We get so worried about and focused on the amount of money we have, clothes, cars, homes, jewelries, followers, friends. We forget that it doesn't matter if we can say that we have 20 friends. If they aren't friends, we can have those deep quality moments with. And Sophia's right. Making something magical, special, or of quality cannot be forced. In my own personal experience, the more pressure you put on something to be special, the more likely you are to be disappointed that it doesn't meet your expectations. So what can be done? You can allow every moment, big or small, to be special. I hate nothing more than going to Costco. But about once a month or so, my mom and I go. I usually just need dog food and milk, but I'm happy to drive her there. Help her load stuff, wander, we talk, we laugh, we people watch. Even in the parking lot, we've had some major conversations. I don't ever go with the intention of making it a memorable time, but I can appreciate it after for the special one-on-one time that we get to connect. And that's what it's all about. Sharing time with someone means sharing it, not hogging it for what you want it to be. So let's all learn from Blanche and remember that you better share the love you have with a person you care about today because they may be gone tomorrow, be it to death, life changes, 
or a new assignment for their traveling salesman job. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we get a variety of performances and you gotta have hope. We're rolling. Rolling, 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 rolling. Yeah. And they're swimming at a swimming oh, yeah. hole and he says, I think I just logged on to the internet. Meaning he pooped in the pool. Yeah. Gross. Well, in his shorts. Wow. Pooped but in his shorts. That are in the pool. His shorts were in the pool with him. So, I guess that is. It's sort of that's like, like a tea bag. Tea bag. Thank you. Yes. You're yeah. steeping the pool. Yeah. Yep. And stinking. I guess spooping it. Ew. Judgment at Nuremberg. Mm. That's a good band. Everything's going fine. <laughs> World goof. <laughs> bye, bye. Save it for your own lips. Duty. As Blanche cuts through the nearly dozen, no, dozen, frozen, stupid, <laughs> to undo his magicification. Magicification? <clears throat> no, no, that's a magicification. Magification. Magification. What you snacking on? I'm not. I'm flossing. I'm so sorry. I, oh, I'm taking after flossing. Matt on Big Brother. Who hosted a program on PBS titled Bill Moyers Jr. <laughs> I'm Bill Moyers Jr. <laughs> These are my friends. Bill Moyers babies. <laughs> Is this the same friend that sometimes eats popcorn for dinner? Uh-huh. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Blanche attributes. Mm-mm. Sophia gives her an indirect answer by saying, oh, 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 uh, oh, and good Pokemon. Would you rock me tonight for old time's sake? The ugly ducking, ducking, the ugly ducking. Oh, my God. Duckling, 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 duckling. Belvedere Slayer. Belvedere Slayer. Blanche could still draw, and Rose could 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 could. Blanche could still draw, and Rose could could. Oh my God! You gotta Are you singing Faith? That's fun. Thank you. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sisters. Duty. <laughs>